Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Chicago White Sox 2, the Cleveland Guardians 1. The White Sox end up splitting the series with the Cleveland Guardians. I'm David Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we're coming up a little bit later this morning. Sometimes decisions are out of your hands. You know, the baby was looking up at me this morning and said, you know what, Dad? We usually eat breakfast after you record the podcast. I'm, I'm feeling breakfast first this morning. And watching my son thrash in his crib, I said, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's no stopping you this morning. So uh, we're coming up a little bit later after an early breakfast for me and the little guy. But we are ready to talk baseball. Just a, a little flavor at the beginning of the podcast. A little personal stuff going on in my life. So what's going on in this game? Well, uh you know, I enjoy watching baseball being played. I do not enjoy watching my starting pitcher go out after a half an inning. I mean, Francona says that Savali's wrist has been bothering him. It might be bothering him for a little bit. But, like, I mean, to go out there, you warm up. You do all your warm-up, all your long toss, all your warm-up pitches, your bullpen session or whatever. You get out there. You throw your warm-up pitches for the first inning. You you attack. You battle. You throw 20 pitches against the White Sox. And then suddenly you're like, you know what? I, I think my wrist might be bothering me. It's just it's weird how that all... I mean, there's so many opportunities before that game even starts for him to be like, this thing is not working right, guys. And to get out there and pitch that first inning and then make that decision, it's just, it was just a weird scenario last night. Like, like I get it. Um, you know, I've had some soft tissue injuries myself, some strains, some things, some uh, things not feeling right. I, I get it. But it was just a weird how it all went down. Like, it happened. They didn't even go out and get him on the mound. It happened while the Guardians were up to bat in the bottom of the first. It was unclear to the, everybody on the broadcast what was going on. It's just weird last night, and it created like a weird game, I think, because of it, right? There was weird energy in the ballpark. You, you, For some reason, you had that dread, like there's that overwhelming dread from a bullpen game where you know the odds are you're going to have to put four, five, six guys out there, and the odds are that four, five, six guys run out there, somebody's going to get blown up, like not all those guys can be on their game. We end up running five guys out there, arguably our best five out of the bullpen. And frankly, they did a pretty good job. Like I know Guardians Twitter got all up their own rear ends about Sam Henches being out there. And no, why would you put Penches in there now against the two, three, four hitters in their lineup? But there's no lefties in their lineup. There was no good spot to pitch Henches yesterday, but Henches can give you a little length. I mean, him and Eli Morgan are, and Trevor Steffen are all former starters. So their arms are a little more resilient, you have to think, than most bullpen arms. Eli Morgan, I think even said, someone said, like, yeah, we, we've we got some pretty good arms in this bullpen. Like, we're, we're equipped to do this if we have to, if called upon. And, uh, so yeah, so someone was going to get blown up, and so yeah, Hedges gives up two runs, but frankly, if I were to tell you that Aaron Savali went four, five, six, seven, eight innings, if I told you Aaron, of course, eight innings, why was I even adding it up? If I told you Aaron Savali went eight innings, gave up six hits, two runs, had two walks, and uh, had, let's see here, six, seven, eight strikeouts, 
with only hard hit six, seven times. You'd be like, fantastic start by Aaron Savali. What an incredible job by Aaron Savali. Only gave up two runs over eight innings? Wow, limited them to six hits? Only seven hard hit balls? What a fantastic job by a starter. Okay, so if I turn around and tell you that the bullpen did that, the combined bullpen did that, it's a pretty impressive day by our bullpen, okay? I know Henches gives up two runs. I know he gives up three hits and uh, two walks in that inning, uh, in his inning and two-thirds. But that's a pretty impressive job by the bullpen as a collective, as a whole. So uh, let's get into it. Let's get into this. I mean, we are in there. That's the storyline of the game. The storyline is the bullpen had to hold things down. Eli Morgan, fantastic. Two innings, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts, one hard hit ball, just beautiful two innings from Eli Morgan. De Los Santos, it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if one day Eli Morgan will be back to being a starter. Like right now, he's such a weapon in the bullpen, but I wonder, he's this guy is a good pitcher, and I wonder if one day he'll end up being a starter again. We've seen that before. For some reason, the one that comes to mind is Smoltz in Atlanta, right? Smoltz was a good starter, goes on, becomes a great closer, and I think towards the end of his career, didn't he go back to starting again? So I wonder if there's a future where Eli Morgan becomes a starter, or does he just stay this dominant setup man out of the bullpen? Uh, and De Los Santos comes in. He does give up two doubles, but uh, as we're going to see when we start talking about the offense here, those doubles don't come back to hurt him. He's able to get two strikeouts. He lasts two innings. Uh, that's huge. Uh, De Los Santos is not someone I think of as a length reliever. So the fact that he gave you two innings there, I mean, Eli Morgan and De Los Santos, uh, add in Aaron Savali's uh, first inning. Okay, you've got us through five innings. That is something a normal starter would do. Now the bullpen can kind of run the rest of the game. Maybe ah, Sam Henches runs into trouble. Henches last uh, inning and two-thirds, three hits, two runs, two walks, one strikeout. He's only hard hit twice, but it's enough. Frankly, Henches was just stuck in the middle of the plate. Uh, the hits that he gave up, uh, the two singles that he gives up to set up the inning to Tim Anderson and Luis Robert, were both one was a fastball, one was a slider, but they're middle of the plate, up above the belt, real meaty pitches to hit singles off of. Um, the uh, I'm trying to see what the exit velocity here was. The fastball by Tim Anderson was only 86.8 exit velocity. Uh, the Luis Robert one was 109.4. That one was crushed. That one was smoked. And then the sinker to Jose Abreu was a pitch that was down. And Jose Abreu took a really good approach to the lefty pitching him outside. This is kind of where Luke Maley, I actually know it would have been uh, Austin Hedges at this point because Maley comes in uh, after Jimenez pinch hit. Uh, so it was where uh, Austin Hedges was set up. He was kind of set up for a pitch down and outside, and that's where he put it. Maybe he didn't bury it enough. Maybe he needs to get this pitch below the knees. But it's a great approach from Jose Abreu saying, okay, I got a lefty who's trying to pound me down and away. What am I going to do with this? I'm going to take it to right field. I'm going to slice the ball to right field. So it was a nice slice, and he kept it fair. So you got to give credit to the hitter on that one. Yeah, the two the two that were up, the two singles that were up, meaty pitches to hit, that's on Sam Henches. I think this double, the RBI double here, I think that one 
is on Jose Abreu. I think that's just a really good swing from a powerful right-handed hitter who can slice the ball into the right field corner like that. So that's what Henches gives up. And then uh, Trevor Steffen would come in. He would finish the inning for Henches and pitch the eighth inning. He would do a really good job, uh, two strikeouts for him. Uh, and then Emmanuel Classe comes in and handles the ninth inning. Now, there was, a, there was a weird thing in the ninth inning here. There was a foul ball that shot back off the face mask of Luke Maley, and he had come in as a defensive replacement after Jimenez had pinch hit, and he looked like he had a concussion. I mean, he, he, he falls to his right. He, he uh, almost goes to the ground. His eyes definitely look a little bit lost. Um, he looked like he had a concussion. And they come out there. They check on him. He shakes it off. He shakes the cobwebs off. He stays in there. Uh, ooh, that's Concussions are not something you want to mess with. Like They can really compound. They can really cause problems. And, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if in a day or two, Maley ends up in the concussion protocol because sometimes these symptoms are delayed. Uh, but, yeah, I, they, he said, and Francona even said, like, if that game would have gone to extra innings, if they would have tied it up in the bottom of the ninth, Maley was not going back out there. Ernie Clement would have gone in as the emergency catcher, and Maley was not going back in. But, but then why did you leave him in? Did you just leave him in because uh, Emmanuel Classe is so hard to catch? I mean, if that's the reason, is it worth it? I don't think it's worth it. I don't want to see guys messing around with concussions. Like At the end of the day, a game in the middle of July against the White Sox is not that important in the grand scheme of things. But Luke Maley dealing with a concussion and the effects we know of compounding concussions and things like that, what we've learned about concussions, yeah, it is that important that that guy gets some medical attention and probably doesn't stay in that game. So honestly, I don't know if I, I, it's hard because these guys fight, right? These guys fight to stay in games. Hell, I've been injured and and stayed in games when I really shouldn't have been. Uh, I played a, I'll give you a little, a little flavor of my life. I played a Thanksgiving morning, you know, backyard football game, a Turkey Bowl football game. We've been playing the same game for like 20 some years and I busted my ankle bad. I mean, I really rolled my ankle. And I stayed and I played quarterback for like the next hour and a half, just limping around, flinging them all over the field. I should not have been out there. It was a dumb thing to do. But it was one of those situations where you knew as soon as you took the shoe off, the ankle was going to swell up. And I stayed out there and I kept playing, had some fun. And then I got home. Holy hell. I mean, my ankle swelled up to the size of, uh, I mean, a small... Like a mango, like it was, it was pretty big, my ankle, and uh, yeah. So I've done dumb things and stayed in games. I get the f- the fight to want to stay in there, and that you could shake off the cobwebs. Uh, if Francona was gonna take him out in extra innings, you, you got to take him out there. You can't leave a concussed guy in the game. But whatever, he gets out of it without incident. We'll see if in a few days that comes back around. Um, all right, let's. So that was the bullpen. I think the bullpen. I think you gotta give a round of applause for the bullpen. I really think you do. I know Henches gives up the two runs, but I think it's a pretty good performance overall from the bullpen. 
on the other side of things, the White Sox were better. I mean, Lucas Giolito was pretty darn good. He goes six and a third innings pitched, five hits, one run unearned, one walk, and five strikeouts. He's only hard hit four times on 91 pitches. And you know what? With the five strikeouts, it's not like he was really, really dominating uh, the Guardians hitters when it comes to CSW numbers. The uh, the strikeouts are kind of all over the place. He gets Austin Hedges to t- chase a slider out the bottom of the zone. He freezes uh, Stephen Kwan with a fastball and an 0-2 count. Um, he gets Vermeil Reyes to frozen with a changeup on an 0-2 count. He gets Nolan Jones frozen on an 0-2 count with a fastball on the outside edge. And he gets Josh Naylor to chase a fastball way up at his head. Uh, so, yeah, uh, a lot of called strikeouts there. That's interesting. Uh, and if we go over to his player breakdown page, look, we know the changeup is the weapon from Lucas Giolito, right? It's uh, it's a fastball, changeup, slider combo, but the changeup is that pitch. It's not a high whiff rate. Seven whiffs on 40 swings. It's an 18% whiff rate. He adds in some decent called strikes, uh, which gives him a 29% CSW total on the day. But here's the thing about that changeup. So it's two whiffs on the changeup. That's it. Six called strikes on the changeup. That's it. But the average exit velocity off that changeup was 80.1 mile per hour exit velocity. And this isn't a situation where you've got one outlier, right? One outlier that skews the whole thing. Like the max velocity is like 105, but the minimum velocity was like a dribbler at 50. And you end up with an average of 80.1. The max exit velocity was only 90.2. That was the max And the minimum was 59.2. So yeah, really inducing weak contact off of that changeup. That's just good pitching from Lucas Giolito, a guy who does it all the time to the Cleveland Guardians. He has his best ERA against anybody in baseball against the Cleveland Guardians at 1.77. His next best would be the Milwaukee Brewers at 2.25. Yeah, so just Absolutely. The next in the American League Central was the Royals at 3.44. So something about the Cleveland Guardians, Giolito absolutely dominates. He's got a 1.074 whip, walks, hits per innings pitch. If you're close to one or below one, you're doing really good. Strikeouts per nine, he's up to 9.6 strikeouts per nine against us. And strikeout-to-walk ratio is 3.24, so a very good strikeout-to-walk ratio. And as you can see here, he records five strikeouts to one walk. So, yeah, Giolito does it again to us. Uh, Really great job. And then their bullpen was fantastic. Ronaldo Lopez comes in. uh, Kendall Graverman and uh, Liam Hendricks pitch fantastic eighth and ninth innings. Both record two strikeouts. Shut down the Guardians, one, two, three in the 8th and the ninth, So, the White Sox pitching, absolutely fantastic. The Guardians pitching, really good, but obviously, obviously climbing a mountain here. Compared to the hill that the White Sox had to climb, I mean, the Guardians' bullpen was climbing a mountain. And uh, their offense gave them just enough on the day uh, to beat us. Now, the thing about the offenses in this game The storyline offensively for me is every time I looked up, and it was a crazy night for me. I was cooking dinner. I was dealing with screaming babies, barking dogs. Like, I barely could focus on the game. But every time I looked up, 
it felt like somebody was standing on second base and then wasn't being brought around to score. Right in the first inning, the White Sox get two guys on and they can't bring them around to score. Uh, in the um, in the third inning, the Guardians lead off with a double. Owen Miller leads off with a double and they can't bring him around to score. Ground out, fly out, fly out. They can't bring him around to score. So a guy stranded out there. The um, the White Sox lead off the fourth and, f- and almost fifth inning. They lead off the fourth inning. The second batter of the fifth inning have doubles. Luis Robert leads off the fourth inning with a double. Then you get ground out, strike out, ground out. So he's stranded. Then in the fifth inning, this is off De Los Santos. He does get a leadoff ground out. Then Josh Harrison hits a double, but two ground out, a strikeout and a ground out behind him leaves him stranded. So every time I looked up, there was a guy in second base and he wasn't coming around to score. Uh, Ahmed Rosario leads off the fourth with a single and they can't bring him around to score. The Guardians go one, two, three in their fifth inning. Uh, in the sixth inning is when they finally do the damage, right? That's when Jose Abreu finally gets the double. Uh, the other run comes in to score on an Andrew Vaughn ground out. They were playing back, and they sacrificed the run for the out, and so they get both of their leadoff runners in. Yohan Mankata, who walked, and Luis Robert, who singled, they both come in to score. Uh, so they finally do it in the sixth inning. The Guardians lead off the sixth inning with a Miles Straw double. He pulls one down the left field line, but strikeout from Stephen Kwan, flyout from Ahmed Rosario, and a lineout from Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez had some bad luck in this game. He shot one down the right field line that their right fielder, who is that out there today? That was Pollock, made a great running catch uh, down the line, crashing into the wall. So he steals a hit away, probably extra bases from Jose Ramirez. And then late in this game, and it might have been this one here in the sixth inning. He shoots this one into left center field. You think it might drop. It's a nice swing to go opposite field, but it holds up. It's one of those balls. You get mad at yourself when you get back to the dugout, right? You think, I hit it too hard because it just holds up. Their left fielder, uh, Aloy Jimenez, runs it down. He actually pulls his hamstring or something, something, some soft tissue injury in his leg. Uh, he comes out of the game limping. Uh, but he runs down Jose Ramirez's line out here in the sixth inning. So Ramirez got a couple of hits taken away from him, I think. The the White Sox actually played some good defense in this game. Other catcher, Zavala, makes a nice catch, running backwards in foul territory and reaches out over the wall and catches one. The White Sox played some decent defense in this game until the seventh inning when we finally get them. We knock Giolito out of the game. Uh, Nolan Jones draws a walk. Uh, Owen Miller would hit into a force out, and then uh, that was right. That was they thought they turned the double play, but Owen Miller beat it out by a step, by half a step. Owen Miller beat it out. They had to review that one, but he was safe. So runners stay on the corner with two outs, and that brings up Andres Jimenez as a pinch hitter. Why Jimenez wasn't starting, I don't know. But isn't that two games in a row now that Jimenez has been sat down? I mean, he did get banged up pretty bad. The other day in the field, he took some bad tumbles. So maybe that's why they were just keeping him off his feet for a few days. I don't think anyone's really said anything about it. But Jimenez comes in as a pinch hitter. He shoots one 95.8 mile per hour exit velocity to the left of the second baseman, Harrison, who can't come up with it cleanly. He kind of fumbles it, makes a spin in an attempt to throw at first base, throws it wide at first base. The thing is, if Harrison would have just like slid on his, like gone to a knee, 
just slid on his knees, he would have had like time to make the throw. He rushes it even though he doesn't have to rush it. He had, it's like a guy firing the ball up. It's like in the shot clock running down in basketball, and a guy fires the ball up with like three seconds left on the shot clock. They're like, dude, you, you panicked. You didn't have to do that. <laughs> you rushed yourself. And that's kind of what Harrison does here. He, he throws it wide at first base. So uh, Fermil Reyes comes in to score. We get on the board. Miles Straw comes up. He's got runners on the corner still, I believe, and a chance to uh, tie the game up. Unfortunately, he would hit one right back at Harrison. Harrison gets some redemption, makes the out, and throws out Miles Straw. So the Guardians' big chance was in this seventh inning. They finally get that guy to second base around to score. They finally get the job done in the seventh inning. Uh, yeah, and then they'd get shut down. Unfortunately, one, two, three in the eighth, and one, two, three in the ninth. Nolan Jones gets hosed on a slider for strike three that was inside. There's no, I mean, there's no argument there. The ump completely missed that call. The poor rookie again. Man, the rookie has gotten some really tough calls since being called up. They're, yeah, they're really favoring the pitchers against him right now. So, uh, Nolan Jones, there will be better at-bats ahead for you than that one right there. He blew for me Reyes away with a high and tight fastball uh, from Hendricks. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it was a weird game. So many guys get to second base and absolutely get stranded. The Guardians on the day, they got to be better. They're 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position. Don't blame Sam Henches. Don't blame Savali getting hurt. Your offense was 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position. You have to be better than that. You have to be better. Meanwhile, the White Sox were 2 for 11. There's the difference between 2 for 11 and 0 for 12. It's a 2 to 1 win for the White Sox. Now, we stay a half game up on them in second place, but we fall back below 500. We're four and a half games. I feel like we're right back where we started against Minnesota. When this series started against the White Sox, we're still looking up at them. We're still barely holding on to second place. And now we got to go face the Tigers again at home. So it was not, I mean, when you started out winning the first two games of the series against the White Sox, you felt really good, really good about things. Okay, they split the doubleheader. That happens. We wanted this one tonight. We wanted to win this series against the White Sox. Yeah, we're. I think we're all a little pissed off that the Guardians couldn't get it done. You Winning against the White Sox, that would have really, really helped to win this series. But more bad vibes. But we get the Detroit Tigers. Um, Rodriguez is going for the Tigers against McKenzie tonight. So we'll have some Thursday night baseball. And then throughout the rest of the weekend, we got Hutchinson against Plesak. We've got on Saturday... Uh, it doesn't want to load. Pineda is going again against Quantrill. And then Sunday, who is going to finish things out for the season? It's going to be Brisky against Bieber to finish things out. Bieber's going to get the last start. Will Savali go on the injured list? If he does, that's going to make an interesting situation because does, um, does Pilkington get that opportunity to come in and be a regular member of the rotation if Savali's hurt? Or... Is there somebody else not on the 40-man roster who they'd have to add to the 40-man roster who might get that start, right? This is a difficult situation here. If they bring someone on, they're going to have to drop someone off the 40-man roster. They're going to have to DFA someone. 
So that's a tougher decision than just using Pilkington, who's already on the 40-man roster. So we'll see. It all depends. I mean, obviously, with this four-game series, then the All-Star break, Savali does have like a week and a half before they would need it. And he's got like two weeks before they would need him again. So he basically has a little IL stint right here uh, before he comes back. So if there's actual structural damage in the wrist, an actual injury there, then yeah, maybe he will have to go on the IL. If it's just sore wrist and he just needs uh, to do a little physical therapy, a little workout with that, um, then hopefully he's back after the All-Star break. So that's the situation the Guardians find themselves in. I'm sure you can go on Guardians Twitter right now and you'll hear like 20 names of people they want to see get called up. Oh, call up Xavion Curry. Call up Logan T. Allen. Call up. Go down. Let's just get our top prospects up here. Obviously, there's going to be some decisions made about the 40-man roster and things like that. I'm sure the front office is crunching all the numbers. I don't know who it's going to be if Savale is hurt. So let's wait and find out. Let's just be patient and wait and find out. All right. Uh, the other thing going on, the other news going on is that uh, Jose Ramirez has been named not only an all-star, but he has been named as a participant for the 2022 Home Run Derby. One of our guys is in the Home Run Derby. So that means Monday night is going to be extra fun. And I, you know, I'm someone who I do enjoy the Home Run Derby. I always kind of think like, eh, the Home Run Derby. But then I sit down and start watching it. And lately, they've just been putting on a fantastic show. I mean, Pete Alonzo going off. Shohei Otani and Juan Soto last year. Everybody went off last year. It was incredible. Trey Mancini running to the finals. Like, that was an incredible 2021 Home Run Derby. In 2019, the last time they did it, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Jock Peterson were going off. Acuna and Pete Alonso were going off. So it's been kind of fun lately. I mean, it's a thing you kind of keep on in the background. And I heard people on Guardian's Twitter. I- I'm telling you, I might be done tweeting for a while because they're just, man, they're such little pains in the butt. They complain about everything. And they're complaining about Jose Ramirez being in the home run derby. Oh, he's going to mess up his swing. Oh, I'm sure if he was still injured, he would not participate. I mean, come on. The guy has more common sense than that. It's supposed to be a fun event. It's supposed to be the best of the best getting together and having some fun. So just shut up and have some fun with it. My God, Guardians Twitter. Some Guardians players have history in the Home Run Derby. Not great history. Only one guy has really, really shown out in the Home Run Derby. In 2019, we did have Carlos Santana in there. And frankly, he put up a decent showing against Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso beat him in the first round, 14 homers to 13 homers. All right, Pete Alonso would go on to win the whole thing. So he lost to the champion there. Uh, you know, it was a little bit low for, it was tied for the lowest first round with Matt Chapman from Oakland, but hey, you know, 13 home runs wasn't terrible. You got to go all the way back then to 2008 when Grady Sizemore participated. He also didn't make it out of the first round. Six home runs wasn't terrible. Uh, Josh Hamilton that year put up 28 home runs in the first round. The next highest was Justin Morneau at eight who would go on to win the thing in the finals because Josh Hamilton would run out of steam. But he put up 28 in the first round. The next highest, eight. Uh, so, yeah, Grady Sizemore wasn't terrible. 
uh, put up six home runs in that one. Before that, oh my God, I can't believe how long it had been since a Cleveland player had participated. You got to go all the way back then to Jim Tomey at Coors Field in uh, 1998, where he loses to Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, in the finals of that year. He put up 17 home runs in that derby. Uh, Griffey won with 19. I mean, the names, if you go back and look at the history and some of the names here, so Tommy uh, definitely had the best showing ever from a Guardians, from, not from a Guardians player, from an Indians player, I'll say it, from an Indians player in uh, home run derby history. The year before that, in 97, the one at Jacobs Field, he had zero in the first round. He is shut out. Him and Nomar Garcia-Parra were both shut out in that home run derby. Uh, Tino Martinez won that one in 97. Uh, Before that, the Guardians actually in the 90s had some decent representation. In 95, both Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez were in there. Uh, uh, Frank Thomas beat Albert Bell in the finals of that one. So, all right, Tommy and Bell both had some good showings in the home run derby. In 94, Bell was in there, but he only hit two. Uh, and I think that was it. I, uh, he was in there in 93 as well, and he only hit three. Uh, I believe Bell was our first participant ever in the Home Run Derby in a Cleveland uniform. Uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of Cleveland's history in the Home Run Derby. If you go back and look at the first Home Run Derby in 1985, I mean, the names in this thing. Dave Parker from the uh, Cincinnati Reds wins it with six home runs total. But the names in this, Jim Rice, Eddie Murray, for Baltimore at the time, Carlton Fisk, Tom Brunanski, Cal Ripken Jr., Dave Parker, Dale Murphy, Steve Garvey, Ryan Sandberg, and Jack Clark. That was your first home run derby in the Metrodome in Minneapolis. The first guy to really go off, I think the first guy to put up double-digit home runs was Cal Ripken Jr. in 91 in the Toronto Sky Dome. He puts up 12 home runs. So that's your first guy to really go off in a home run derby. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I think it's fun. I am really excited for Jose Ramirez. He is obviously going to, he's a blast anytime he's on the field. And the names and the people that are participating this year, you got Pete Alonso back. You've got Juan Soto back. Uh, They're letting Albert Pujols do it as a legacy thing, right? There are some really fun names in the Home Run Derby this year, and it's awesome to see Jose Ramirez is going to be mixing it up right where he belongs with the stars of baseball because he absolutely is a star of the game. So we'll see how Jose does. I'm pulling for him. I I think he's going to have, uh, you know, he's going to have some serious competition here because I mean, at this point, Juan Soto and Pete Alonso are like Home Run Derby veteran. They're professional Home Run Derby guys at this point. Uh, so yeah, Jose Ramirez is going to have some work cut out for him in his first home run derby, but I think he's going to put on a pretty good show. I mean, Jose Ramirez puts on a good show everywhere he goes, so I think he's going to be a pretty good show. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. A little bit of fun at the end of the episode. My God, you've got to hear about screaming babies and busted ankles and uh, all sorts of fun things uh, in this episode. Let's wrap this thing up. It's disappointing to lose. It's disappointing, but we got to give respect to the bullpen. And in fact, MVP for the game, I'm giving it to the whole bullpen. Even Sam Hedges. I'm throwing Sam Hedges in there too. It was a tough thing for all those guys. So Eli Morgan, De Los Santos, Sam Hedges, Trevor Steffen, Emmanuel Classe, you can all share the MVP for a day trophy. Um, 
yep, you did a good job. You did a good thing going out there and uh, carrying this team through the end of the game. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Yeah, I'll keep tweeting, but I mean, you people really got to improve your attitude on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I love that the emailers always have a lot more nuanced and thoughtful responses, and I appreciate that, emailers. Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>